Hey everyone, this is Mike Dunn, and you are listening to the second episode of Rethinking EDU. So we're here in the COVID-19 pandemic crisis. Um, all have We've all been doing sort of this online learning thing for about a month now. And I'm here with four of my teaching friends, as usual, my co-hosts, um, Matt Downing. Want to say what's up, Matt? Hey, everyone. How's everyone doing? I'm excited for episode number two. Yeah, yeah. And Julie Cook. Hello, it's Julie, looking for some semblance of life before COVID-19. <laughs> nice. And Janine Dunn. Hey, everybody. It's Janine. And uh, yeah, I'm in isolation here with, with nine members of my family. So we're trying to social distance as best we can. Oh, my gosh. Nine members. You mentioned that last episode, and I can't even imagine. Um, so we've all been on lockdown in our um, homes here, as I mentioned, for about a month now. Um, but before that, and even right now, all four of us are students um, in a doctoral program at Northeastern University. That's how we met. Um, and we got to talking in some of our classes about education, and we decided what better way to share some of the things that we really love to talk about than through a podcast. And so here we are. Um, I hope you listened to our first episode. We focused on kind of the things that are happening in education right now as a result of the pandemic. And this second episode here is going to be focusing on uh, distance learning. And if you're like most of us, we've had to quickly pivot into this world of uh, the unknown when it comes to distance learning. And none of the four of us are homeschool teachers and none of the four of us are uh, primarily online instructors. And so this has been a huge shift for us and it has certainly been a huge shift for many of our teaching colleagues that we've talked to. We want to kick off tonight just hearing from our panel friends here, what are some of the biggest challenges that are going on right now? And I know maybe Matt and Janine, you guys want to talk about some of the challenges you've been experiencing? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, start off. There's there's definitely been a, a ton of challenges as we all have experienced. I mean, we can just take one simple tool like Zoom, right? And that presents a lot of challenges even within itself. So take Zoom, right? We want to use it. We know we can interact with uh, students in a distance learning capacity, but how do we know the students are even able to download the software? So the school wow. district I'm in, we have 14,000 students and we started using Zoom and we got call after call after call. Even though the software is simple, you're going to have some issues with different devices and different capabilities for people to get on. And then when you get onto Zoom, how are you going to conduct a class, right? We're all sort of uh, been trained in classroom management, but we haven't been trained in Zoom management. So what are we going to do when we have all these kids on here? How are we going to conduct a lesson? Is live lesson even the way to go? Is that even productive? Should we just have these flipped learning mini lessons recorded so the student can stop and pause? And it's really brought a lot of uh, good questions, I think, to the forefront, you know, through the lens of uh, some of those challenges. So those are just a couple of examples that that I've experienced. Yeah, I would say 
that like some of the teachers, their skill levels have, you know, you have the student skill levels, you have the teacher skill levels and what they're capable of doing. Um, I know in our school, we certainly have a wide range of, of teachers, uh, young teachers to older teachers and you know, trying to get them all on board to be able to understand how to use it. And just like you said, with, you know, managing a classroom in a building is one thing, but managing a classroom online is completely something else. Um, and Janine and Matt, give us some sense. So Matt said 14,000. Janine, how, how large is your school? My school is pretty small. We're a K to eight school and we have um, about close to 300 students and probably 30 to 40 staff members. So I can only imagine what Matt is going through with having to work with 14,000 students and families. Um, we've had our own and we, we don't we don't have a tech department per se. We have a team of teachers that works that volunteers to do our, our tech sort of stuff. Um, I'm, I, I help out with that team. So I've been and considering that I had the most experience with using Zoom, I ended up being tapped into creating our own um, you know, tutorials for our staff and trying to get them up and running with it. Um, so it's it's been challenging. And like like Matt had pointed out, right, like if people are accessing the, the online software here from different devices, whether it's an iPad, a phone, a computer, tablets, um, there's there's just like slight nuances for how to use each of those. So it's not even like you can give out like blanket directions. It's it, you kind of have to know what they're working with. Yeah, exactly. And we even have, you know, the privacy issues with Zoom, right? The thing on the news now is these Zoom bombings, like people figuring out these Yikes. links and they're it's going crazy. in. Have you guys heard about all of that going on? Yeah. In the, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah so. Like even the New York City school teachers had to be yeah. like, uh, now no longer to use Zoom, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So you even have that, you know. And now Zoom's coming out with update after update after update. So I felt like like last week I had already trained teachers on like new updates that had just came out. And now there was another one that was released this weekend. So I'm like, oh man, I gotta go go and uh, check that out again to see if there's anything else that I got to update the teachers on because things are constantly changing. And, you know, Matt also brought up a good point with, you know, the security issues like this, things are happening so lightning fast and we're just rolling out with things. And then we're kind of like learning in the moment, like, oh no, right. There's Zoom bombers or there's, <laughs> you know, should, should students be allowed to have their cameras on? Does a parent need to be present while student is in a session because there's a camera there? Should we be worried about recording sessions that students are in and then being able to post that later? Like there's so many questions that are being raised now. Yeah, we just went to our schools asking us to record every single session we have with students no matter what. And then we have to upload them all into our Google Drive to share them in case any sort of security issues occur. And even when security issues don't occur, it's it's wild, Matt. You you talked just for a second um, uh, before Janine was talking about helping train her staff. What's been your role in helping train your staff at your school? Because that's your primary role is trying to work with staff to do this sort of thing, right? Yeah, and that's a great uh, that's a great point. And my my ears kind of perked up when Janine said that because it's difficult. Like when you're working with staff, right? You want to help them, you want to support them, but you can't teach to the lowest denominator, right? We don't want to bring our professional development or our training or our helping down to the extreme basics. Because what about the teachers that do want to experiment? They do want to grow. They do want to do things that other teachers aren't able to do. So that is what I find the challenge, right? Because 
I also can't help a thousand teachers individually, but I want to push them to grow. So some, one thing I've done is I've created these screencasts, you know, just a simple screencast. Um, and I create some that are a little bit more advanced and then I'll create, you know, middle range and then I'll have like basics. And then I've even created this new sort of form, bringing it titled back to the basics because I find some teachers just get overwhelmed and they need help just getting back to the basics. And then other teachers wanna run and do crazy stuff with video. And I wanna be able to help all of those different teachers. And that's hard, just like it is in a classroom, right? We don't wanna dumb everything down to the student that's struggling the most. We wanna be able to push people and tailor things to their gifts. And the same thing um, I'm finding with, with helping them. But sometimes to be honest, you got to tell some teachers to put on the brakes because as I think we're going to talk about um, throughout this episode, there's so much new stuff and I can't help with all the new toys out there because that's impossible for me to get an understanding. So I've had to say that a couple of times. I've had to say, look, I'm not an expert. I don't really know that tool. Um, why don't we put that on pause and why don't you use something that you are familiar with or that I'm familiar with, and then we can engage in learning that way. And that's been also helpful. So Matt, you you just mentioned a little bit about the like volume of free or new stuff being put out there. And I was just in a conversation with some colleagues of mine and I uh, about um, streamlining virtual college access today. And we are running into the same sort of issue that there are all of these platforms out there and they're useful when you're talking about on a classroom by classroom basis, but it's really challenging when you're when schools are having to roll out huge technology initiatives at the whole school level, all without being able to do like in-person training on new technologies, you know? And I think of like some of my, um, if I was in high school or when I was in high school, my, my, teachers varied in age and skill level, you know, quite a bit. I had some teachers that were maybe like 24, 25, and some teachers that were 65. And I can only imagine what kinds of challenges that something like this would present to, Mm -hmm. I had one teacher who was a math teacher who didn't really love to use technology at the time. So they would just handwrite on um, online paper, all of their tests and then they would photocopy their tests and we would we would take them like how how are we supporting those teachers that are maybe like moonlighting in their careers or have been doing this for a while otherwise and this is so new that it's like you know they're automatically in their panic zone like how how are we helping teachers in in, in that way it's it's tough and you know the first thing is i'm very sympathetic to to those teachers in those positions, you know, they didn't know this was coming. They weren't really preparing for this. And it, it, and it's not their fault either, right? That's not their strong suit. They've been in this teaching industry for years upon years and have so much skill. And maybe this isn't one of the things they're best at. Um, right. So I'm very right. sympathetic, you know, and I've created basic tutorials um, for these teachers. I've had phone calls with with some of these teachers and had Google Meet sessions and just to sort of calm them down. You know, I think sometimes I've gone into classrooms and sometimes they just need to be told it's okay. 
you know, we'll get through this. Like, let's figure out the basics. What are some ways that you have connected with, with students in the past in your classroom? And how can we do that in a simple way uh, digitally? And let's just think of three ways and I'll help you through this. And we're going to just work on one today. And next week we'll work on another and we'll just keep working. But we're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it basic and we're going to keep coming back to the expertise that they do have because they have a ton of expertise. And how can we just transfer some of that to the digital realm because it will make a big difference. And that's just uh, that's just how I've tried to approach it. I think it's been helpful. If you ever wonder why Matt Downing was a teacher, that statement right there captures it, right? <laughs> exactly. I think we all want him on our team. Yeah, that's right, Julie. <laughs> what about what about you guys, Janine? Are you do you have a, do you tend to have any like older teachers or folks that aren't so keen to jump on the tech ba- bandwagon? Yeah, you know, I got to say, uh, well, first of all, I got to say our staff is amazing. Um, they've all been no matter what age they're they're at or where they're at in their career, they have jumped on and are are giving it their best shot. Um, I think a lot of them have taken their lead from the students because the students have also demonstrated just how resilient they are and just, eh, yeah, sure, they've gone with the flow and are, are taking on things. But yeah, we actually have um, our, our physical education teacher is close to 70. <laughs> and um, she's- That's awesome. She's, she's been <laughs> all my Zoom sessions and asking questions and, you know, she's, she's giving it her best shot. So um, I think teachers really- have demonstrated that they are some superheroes right now. Um, taking on, taking on all this new stuff. I think their goal, I think Matt's right. Like keep it simple. If we can keep it simple and focus on what are we doing here? Why are we actually doing this anyway? I, I really think that it's because we're trying to create a sense of normalcy for the kids sake. Um, so going through all this rigmarole to try and learn new technology, um, again, what is it? What do we need to focus on? We need to focus on the kids, the students, um, and that's why we're doing this. Um, yeah. I think that you know we go back to okay, you have the teachers that are that are learning these new things, but the students are also learning these new things, and they ha- all have different ability levels as well. They have different you know access to technology, um, so that also puts a big you know it's <laughs> a, a, a block like a roadblock can be there because of that. Um, and then you start thinking about the parents and, you know, what they're able to do, too. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges that are involved with this transition to distant learning. I think it's important that we we take it, we slow down. And like Matt said, we, we keep it simple and we keep the eye on we're doing this for the students. Yeah, I, w- I would just add that I think that um, there are just so many digital solutions right now that are being presented to us and that one thing we just can't do, even though we're thinking we can do, is recreating the actual physical school experience. And yes. I, I know, Julie, this is something that you you and I had had talked about in the past. I, I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, educators to the rescue across the country, I've been honestly impressed by companies, educational companies, um, universities, libraries, um, networks, uh, you name it, uh, other schools, just it's been, you know, open throughout the educational community, which, you know, is phenomenal if you think about it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen such generosity um, among educators uh, before, really. Um, 
but there is, as we said, I think last week, this, this fire hose, you know, even well-meaning organizations, you know, who take the time to even curate them all for us, um, it's still a lot to go through. Um, there are some great resources out there. Um, I think it's, it's really been challenging, as Mike said, I think a few minutes ago about, you know, we can't create, recreate a physical school. So trying to just do school the way we had it a month ago, you know, just isn't going to work. Um, so look at the resources we can do, uh, you know, and, and can access, um, making sure that, you know, we're in line with, you know, our, our philosophy of education, that it's pedagogically sound, that it's um, for our kids, you know, all of those are big decisions that, uh, you know, we've had to make over the past three, four weeks here um, and trying to be very deliberate about that. Yeah, I think that there's something you're saying here about um, asking teachers and schools to start to really think about what is essential, like what is really actually necessary in this situation, because I think that schools do a lot of things that maybe aren't that essential. Um, and I'm sure we all can think of things at our schools that happen that we're like, really? Okay, you know, we're doing this because we're doing this, but do we really need to be doing this? And I think that that's a, a really important question that we should be asking um, everybody. And, yeah. and I think that your point is spot on, Julie, that as much as we try, there's not, we're not going to be able to replace physical school right now. We might be able to replace physical school in the future, but not right at this moment, right? Because right at this moment, we're in we're we're in like pivot panic pandemic mode. The three P's right. of our situation. Um, we can coin that in the in the subtitle of this podcast episode. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I think we talked about this a little bit, but I think we we can't hit on it enough in last episode and this episode that this situation is also as much about equity as it is about anything else, right? That our problems with equity are really raising their horns in this moment. And one thing we didn't talk about last episode, but is interesting in this one is about assessment, uh, um, equitable assessment, right? So right now there are, there are like droves of colleges that are uh, replacing their testing requirements for next fall's admission. And uh, Tulane University just went test optional for one year to today. In the past week or so, there have maybe been 30 to 40 colleges that have all said, yeah, you know, we're going to, we've been thinking about going test optional in the past few years, but now we're really going to do it. Hamilton College, for example, they've been thinking about going test optional for a while. They went full test optional just this week. So there's lots of these schools that are rethinking assessments. I put it out there to all you. Maybe we start with Matt. You're, you've been uh, on the tech end of this. How are we grappling with assessment in this situation? Mike, when you say test optional, what, what do you mean by that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you apply to a, a, a university, typically they're going to be looking at your grades, GPA, uh, whatnot, how you did in your challenging classes in high school, and then your SAT, ACT, mm. AC, or uh, SAT2, maybe your AP tests, anything um, in, in that realm. What schools are doing, like many schools across the country for the last 50 years, have been rethinking whether a standardized test like the SAT or the ACT is even required. And mm. in the past, I would say, 25 years in particular, 
the number of schools that are saying we don't really care that much about standardized tests has been growing pretty exponentially. But in the past three weeks, that number is growing even, even further. You know, and you see some of the most selective colleges in the country right now saying, yeah, we're not going to do testing requirements for maybe two years, maybe three years, maybe one year, and then we're going to revisit it. My thought is that it's very unlikely that any of those colleges will require testing ever again. Um, Mm. But that also leads to, yeah, right? It's going to totally topple the testing industrial complex, number one. (laughs) And number two, it's going to totally topple um, you know, large scale assessment. At one point, the conspiracy theorist in my brain was saying that the SAT, the college board who who proctors the SAT, is attempting to create the SAT as the as the ultimate exam that a student would take as a junior or senior to graduate from high school. And then they're working on designing exams for every single grade below that. So to pass every grade, sort of like the New York uh, Regents exams, you'd have to pass through a college board made SAT like exam for every single grade, which we see, I'm sure we all see in some of our schools, whether they're called the Park exams or the Terra Nova or the P whatever, whatever is, you know, there, there are zillions of tests out there. But that whole complex if we start with standardized tests for college is going to start to kind of unravel really quickly in my view. Um, you know, if we're, if we're really talking about talking about rethinking education, I think this is one of the ways that's going to cause us to rethink what we're doing. But I, I want to bring that back down to the classroom level. And if anybody wants to jump in here about what this is causing us to have to do with uh, assessment at the classroom level. Yeah. I can jump in, uh, uh, Mike, there. Um, I think, first of all, I forgot to celebrate that there aren't any PSSAs. Um, but, yeah, so, <laughs> the Pennsylvania State exams, I, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So I think, you know, if the governor of Pennsylvania this year said, you know, we're only going to do, you know, what is most essential, and that was, you know, the first thing to go, you know, that begs the question, you know, what what is that test for? You know, accountability, very important. Um, I think it'll just reframe the conversation as we go forward. You know, how do we use that test? You know, so um, we why we do have test, to, right? right, or what other kinds of assessments could be used? And I think at the classroom level, um, you know, I've had a lot of meetings over the past month. Um, in the past week, I've had three hours or so of meetings, and they've been about assessments. Um, and really looking at, you know, how do we grade? We have schools going to pass fail. We have schools going, getting rid of letter grades or percentage grades and going to proficient or excelling or, you know, what does it mean? Um, you know, we've been trying to be very deliberate about what we roll out now, realizing that, you know, today in our state, um, the governor just declared, you know, no more school for the rest of the year. So that's official. Yeah, crazy. Um, and then, Yeah. And I know I read an article today thinking about, you know, what if this comes back, you know, in September. So whatever decisions we make, um, these conversations actually have been pretty helpful for rethinking perhaps grading and evaluation. And how can we in this environment give good feedback? Uh, What does an 84% um, really mean? 
Uh, do we care, you know, if your mom helped you? Uh, do we care um, if you don't have a parent who can help you? You know, all of those questions um, are pretty important lately. Well, and then you've also raised the question, like, how do you how do you monitor taking an assessment online? Which I'm sure there's answers to that. I know we we tested something out last week with we use GoGuardian so we can see our students' computers and what's on their screens and we can close out tabs. So we could certainly monitor them while they're taking a test that that way online. But I don't know if that's the best situation to be taking a test in. Um, right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can think of a number of students that that would just be disastrous. Also, it feels like very Orwellian, right? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going to let you open up a new tab, right? Yeah. I can tell you right. I didn't like it. It felt weird. I don't know. It just yeah. wasn't right. But, and then, the, but at the same time, it's like, okay, um, I, I, if they're going to take a math test, yeah. and then, uh, you know, a lot of schools maybe don't have online programs um, that maybe they were using just textbooks for whatever subject. And, you know, so then what, do you scan the test in and send it to them or do you mail it to them and have them mail it back? Like, I don't know. How does that all work? Um, oh seems to goodness. get very it gets very complicated after that. So I don't know. That's the assessment piece. I think it's, there's going to be a lot of conversations around that. Matt, from a tech perspective, you got anything to add? I, I, all of our listeners would love <laughs> to a true in-depth analysis right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's been interesting for me to look at a traditional district and how they view assessments, right? They, they are big in, you know, end of the marking period assessment, you know, mid marking period assessments, they have all these assessments, and then they have state assessments, they have millions of assessments. And so their initial approach is, we are going to keep doing assessments. And it's been really interesting to watch, because they can't keep doing the way they've been doing with school, you know, shifting, right? So, okay, so how do you plan on doing that assessment? And now we're seeing these, um, these traditional schools have to backtrack. And it really brings us to, you know, rethinking assessments in education, like project-based learning can still thrive in an environment like we're in today because it, it deals with real skills, right? That the student's producing beyond something right. they're filling out on a piece of paper and we have to monitor them and make sure there's no cheating, make sure, you know, everyone doesn't, is doing it by the book. Um, it's just really interesting. And uh and I've saw that in my district and Philadelphia just made an announcement today. They're going to start doing some sort of assessments in May. I'm like, okay, what's that going to look like? Yikes. Um, yeah. And from a tech perspective, I mean, my mind's just spinning and I'm just observing and trying to figure out the pieces that are able to be played and what really shows, um, you know, learning and how can they use technology to do that? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I, you guys have heard me say this before, but I think if we could solve two major problems in education with a magic wand, what I would love those two problems to be would be funding, which I'm sure we'll talk about in some episode later on. <laughs> education funding is a hot mess. We all know that to be true. But the second major problem I said was assessment, that right now schools tend to be hung up on things like the PSSAs or the parks or the Terranovas or like whatever they are, these big standardized uh, assessments that involve you potentially filling out bubbles and submitting them to some unknown source. And then the unknown source takes 
two months to grade them and tells you that you magically passed by some standard that they that they have said is appropriate, right? And we we it's it's totally inauthentic. As adults, we know that we don't have to take tests like that ever. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not ever, but very rarely, right? And yeah, I can't even say maybe graduate school exam, but even then, yeah. Driving, driving exams, yeah, yeah. But I, I, it just isn't, it isn't common. It isn't a thing. And yet we still continue to use them in education as a, and we think that that's a good idea for some reason. But I think one of the areas that this is causing us to do right now, which in my view is fantastic, is to say, that's just not going to work. How do you possibly administer PSSA exams to 14,000 students while they're at home who may or may not have access to technology, whose older brother or sister or cousin might be at home with them with their three dogs and mom is having to work from home and people are sleeping in the living room and there's no quiet space and there's uh, really, really bad internet. I, I just don't see how that's possible. It requires us to rethink that situation. Well, and it's forcing the conversation, you know, so if we're moving away from percentage grades, um, are we moving toward um, competency-based education? Uh, what kind yeah. of feedback would be helpful uh, for students, for parents, for teachers? Um, and how how will this change the conversation about what assessment um, as a forward-looking instrument to inform our instruction really how is that going to change this conversation? I think that's where we're in the beginning stages of those conversations and they're happening across the country, which is actually a little exciting. Yes, 100% to that. And I think that leads us to talk. We, we've been dooming and glooming here for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we, we got to talk about some of the positives that are coming out of this. We've talked a little bit about here about testing and how we're having to re reevaluate our evaluations. Um, what are some other things that you all think that are opportunities that are arising out of this situation? I think real world connections. I already have seen, even with my own kids, um, that with being at home, learning at home and doing something different, they've done things that they probably would not have done if they were at school, you know? Um, like my daughter, she's in sixth grade. She had an assignment to go find signs of spring. You know, um, we have a, we just moved, we have a pond out in the back and there she was collecting frogs and frog eggs. And, and we're looking things up to find out, is it a toad? Is it a frog? How do you tell the difference? You know, like when it was, that in itself was such a learning experience. And then she was able to share that with her class, you know, um, so that was kind of cool. I just think that there's, there's other opportunities here for like, all right, there's like real world stuff that we can actually do that kids can learn things that are applicable. Like I, I'm putting together a scavenger hunt right now for our kids for like, all right, let's learn, let's learn some like home ownership 101. I'm going to send you on a <laughs> throughout your house, you know, go find where the water main is, <laughs> you know, how do you turn that off? Ask Aaron. <laughs> you know? That's um, awesome. Yeah. Like those, those sort of things. So I think that there's going to be different lessons than what they would have would be in the classroom, you know? Well, and to 
jump on that, I think about the format of a lesson or a unit, as um, I think Matt said in the very beginning here, like, are we going to package uh, lessons up, record ourselves talking, and then, you know, the child accesses that at some point during his or her day? Or is it a live session? Um, there's some sort of mini lesson and the child then heads out into the world to uh, go ahead and learn, you know? Um, so what is a flipped classroom and how much time do we spend talking, you know, at students? I know, you know, in, in our school, we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, student-driven learning as opposed to teacher-centered learning. Um, but this is a, a great opportunity to kind of turn that on its head again and say, you know, what really are we doing here? And, and how, how can we um, continue to make this student-driven learning? Um, all these other questions that come into play too. Um, families have always played a role. Um, it's just a really big role right now. Um, I, think about, I think about that. I think about, um, as I said before, the, the open source um, that's happened across the country. Um, and it's really been all hands on deck. Um, you know, as a, as a person who works in a charter school, it's been great to see um, that schools have really cooperated, um, kind of realizing we're all in living in the same moment together. And, and how can we push through and, and share as much as possible? So there's a ton of conversations in education that are happening right now because of, of this uh, disaster. Just to piggyback on those um, things, um, you know, the student as the creator and uh, and technology really provides an avenue to that. Um, you know, we think of simple things like recording the voice and recording video, right? Those are so easy now with our technology, with our phone and with um, a simple Chromebook. And we can have students not only writing. I love writing. I think it's a great skill. It's a great tool. But for some students, it's not always helpful in them displaying their understanding or explaining something or producing something, right? They can say something or they can record a little video or they can make a podcast like we're doing. Um, and that, that excites me because those are simple technologies that students are able to engage with, um, create cool stuff that, engage, that engages with what they want to do, um, you know, even a blog. You know, so th these are things that, that I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, I think one of the greatest opportunities at, at the moment is the ability to personalize learning for students. You know, we can actually ask them, what do you want to learn? You know, we don't have to take the state yeah. PSAs right out, you know, the state test. So what are you interested in? Hey, and you know what? The kids are our greatest resource as well. We, we sent out a survey to our students asking them, just that, like what, what sort of things do you want to learn about? Uh, do you have any suggestions for online resources or platforms that you're familiar with and that you want us to check out? Um, you know, because our students are very tech savvy. Um, and I think that they can actually teach us a, a thing or two. So I think tapping into them, but really this idea of being able to personalize this learning experience for them and setting them up for, you know, what sort of things do you want to study? Can you do an independent study? Um, can we can we do little lessons on finances and laws and home ownership, how to take care of your car, you know, <laughs> uh, that, those sort of things. 
You know, um, how can we still allow student voice and choice within the curriculum, whatever we're teaching here? Um, I know one thing that we're working on is creating hyperdocs, um, which kind of is like an interactive assignment where kids it may look like it could look like a bingo card. There's lots of different ways to structure it, but you know, it gives them opportunities to um, like work at their own pace. Uh, links are embedded into the document so that they can click on links, watch videos, respond right on the document, and turn those sort of things in. So you know, we're playing around with different formats um, so that the kids can kind of work at their own pace or have like a menu option. Um, of different different things that they can do for the units. Janine, I love uh, hyperlink docs. Yes, they're great. Yeah, hyperdocs yeah. are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> is that a, is a hyperdoc a technical uh, word for a document with hyperlinks on it? Yeah, yeah there's actually a whole true? site. There's a whole website. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. There's templates that you can use, and then you you can reformat them and you know whatever. But um, they cool. are really um, a great way for for online learning it's a it's a it's easy for the teacher because you're kind of front loading everything mm. um, like once putting the hyperdoc together you know it does take some time or whatever but once you have that together everything's kind of there for the students and then they're able to work through it um, clicking on these links and completing activities and and that so yeah yeah I, that leads me to a really great point about what I think education should be in general, and that is equipping students to be self-determined learners. And I think that we've been robbing students of that opportunity in many educational settings in the past. We've said, teachers are at the front of the room. Here are the things that the teachers think that you all should be learning. And this opportunity right now that we have in front of us is to is to upend that idea. And teachers can use things like personalization and hyperdocs in combination with one another to say, working with a student to personalize whatever it is that they're interested in, whatever it is that they care about, and whatever it is that they're going to really be motivated to learn more about. And then the teacher can use their expertise in finding resources and designing um, activities for students to go through that can be meaningful for them. You know, I see so many schools that venture away from student um, agency. And this is, I think this is the biggest opportunity for us to stop ignoring students as like able, capable human beings and not just sheep that were sort of shepherding through school experiences. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so uh, the last segment of this podcast, after after the first episode, we didn't really have a last segment. And I'm a big fan of, you know, we have our we have the things we want to talk about. And then we kind of wrap it up with some sort of last segment before we end the podcast officially. So for this episode, and hopefully we'll see how this goes for future episodes, I have uh, come up with the idea to say the final segment is how is this idea that we've been discussing helping us rethink what education should be? So, you know, working with our title a little bit, kind of getting into what um, we're really hosting this podcast to explore. And I would love each one of us to talk for just, you know, a little bit about 
if you were if you were saying the COVID nineteen pandemic is making us rethink one specific thing as it as it relates to distance learning, what would that be and why? And I I'll kick it off. I think the top thing that it's making us rethink, in my view, is our relationship with seat time. And I said this for a little bit in our last episode, but I want to reemphasize it here is that distance learning is exhausting. Sitting in the same seat all day long, Zoom conferencing, doing activities at your desk, like whatever you're doing is absolutely exhausting. And so, you know, one of the ways our schools try to mitigate that is by decreasing the number of synchronous time minutes that we're actually engaging with students and and giving students Wednesdays to kind of regroup, redo whatever the things that they need to do, you know, reach out to their teachers for extra help if necessary. But I that makes me think, why are we not rethinking that for physical school? And, mm-hmm. you know, one of my colleagues today, when he and I were talking about this and he was like, well, one of the reasons why we're not rethinking that is because school acts as a daycare center for students when it's physically in session. Parents have to go to work. They can't be home with their kid one day a week or any days a week because they have to go to work. But right. my my pushback to that is why do they have to go to work? Everybody mm-hmm. or a lot of people are home right now. And potentially many people are doing work from home right now. So is it that we can this situation is causing us to rethink the time that we spend physically in a school building and potentially the time that we're spending at work in a typical work week? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's a big leap. But what about, for, what about for the rest of you all? What is this really, in your view, causing us to have to rethink? For me, I really have an eye on this, the equity issue, just how that gap is even wider with distance learning um, because of whether they they lack resources or they lack they lack support from family, um, whatever the situation might be. But I, I think that this this distance learning situation with COVID nineteen has just exasperated that. Yeah, we haven't even talked about special education students, right? <laughs> which is like yeah. another elephant in the room. We could talk about that for a while too. All right, Julie, Matt, what about you all? Well, I think um, I already talked about how open source everything is becoming, but I think even like broadening that perspective to the physical space that we used to say, you know, I'm going to school. Um, it kind of makes me think that there's a lot of people rethinking what that physical space called the school is. Um, And should we really have been pouring all of our money into those physical spaces when Mm -hmm. um, really we should be funding students Um, and really the community is our classroom, right? Um, So what will this look like as teachers rethink the possibilities if it doesn't take place within the four walls of a classroom, um, you know, it takes place everywhere. So I think really opening that up and, and trying to reimagine what we call school um, is a great conversation to have as well. Yeah, and I think for me, um, it's made me, you know, I've been really appreciative and we've talked about, you know, all of these free tools that, that people have been offering. And I think it's great, but the tools are not enough, right? The tools aren't going to get it done. We need teachers 
to utilize those tools in effective ways to bring about learning. And we need teachers to know how to do that. So even if a teacher that's really good at, at directing student learning doesn't know how to utilize the tool or doesn't know how to utilize technology, the main goal isn't going to get across. And ultimately the students won't be engaged because they're not gonna be directed. So I think like I've come to appreciate more the role and the power. I've, I've always appreciated the power of the teacher for the learning, um, you know, directing that, organizing that, facilitating that. But I just think, you know, teachers, um, and we all do, we need continual growth and guidance on how to, the world's changing. And this, you know, pandemic is going to revolutionize the world in, in many ways, whether it be testing or how we interact with each other, or there's gonna be huge changes that come as a result of this in the next, you know, three to six months. And I think we as a education body need to be retrained in some of these technological skills and have an understanding of what we're supposed to do with it and how we can accomplish our goals rather than it being just another thing like a TV channel, you just hit play and it goes, but is that facilitating effective learning? That's been the main thing on, on my mind. Dang, Matt, that's deep, man. <laughs> that's a lot to think about. Well, hey, listen, it, it was great chatting with you all this evening. I really appreciated this conversation. I think we could talk for a while longer, but I want to leave listeners with some ideas of what's coming next. So we had our first episode, you know, um, love in the life of the coronavirus, right? And uh, we have our second episode here about distance learning. We're coming at you with our third episode in the series next, which is going to be all about teacher well-being. Um, we're going to hopefully host a guest um, and bring the person on to give us some thoughts about um, how to encourage work-life balance for teachers, how to encourage um, really like wellness during the time of being stuck at home all day with your family and you know your dog and you love those people and the, your animal, but it can be exhausting. And then you have to teach on top of that. We appreciate you listening. Please share our podcast with your friends from the sunny side of Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. <laughs>